Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is a production of Produce North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Hatton from Jerusalem. Welcome back to our Pardes podcast series on Sefer Shemuel, the book of Samuel. We recall that last time in chapter 8, we read about Shemuel's reservations concerning the appointment of a king. In the end, he did warn the people about what the king might do with the power, but the people were not to be swayed and demanded a king. In the end, God relented and the chapter ended with the people of Israel waiting expectantly for a king to appear. Chapter 9 begins almost obliquely with a reference to a lengthy lineage. This is often an indicator in a biblical moment that an important person is about to be introduced. There was a man from Binyamin and his name was Kish, son of Aviel, son of Tzeror, son of Bihorat, son of Afiach, a Benjaminite, and he was a man of valor. So Kish's lineage is here traced back four generations. It recalls very much the beginning of our book, Samuel 1, verse number 1, which was the introduction of Elkanah, the father of Samuel, a similar technique to indicate that, in fact, the person about to be introduced is going to be the father of someone important. And sure enough, that man, Kish, had a son called Shaul, Bachur Vatov, young or perhaps choice and good. There was none in Israel, Tov Mimenu, better than him, Mishichmova Mala, Gavua Mikol Ha'am, heads and shoulders above anyone else among the people. The commentaries debate whether this description of Shaul is a description of his physique, i.e. he was handsome, he was good-looking, he was tall, or also a statement about Shaul's character. Ve'en ish mibnei Yisrael tov mimenu, there was none better among the people of Israel than him. Certainly, Shaul's character is positively portrayed in what follows. Apparently, Kish, the father of Shaul, loses his donkeys, asks his son Shaul to take a servant and to search for the donkeys, and Shaul and the servant do so. They cover a lot of territory. Mount Ephraim, the land of Shalisha, the land of Sha'alim, the land of Yemini, until finally they arrive in the land of Tzuf, but the donkeys are nowhere to be found. So this indicates obviously the great respect and devotion that Shaul has for his father. He will go to great lengths in order to recover those donkeys that had been lost. Eventually they come to the land of Tzuf. Shaul tells his servant, Lecha v'nashuva, verse number five, let us return. Father will forget about the donkeys because of his worries for us. Shaul says, it's time to call off the search. 
But the servant boy responds, there is a man of God in this city. And the man is very honored. Everything that he says comes true. Why don't we make our way to him? And he will help us find where the donkeys are. Shaul is reluctant. We will go, says Shaul, but what will we present to this man? We don't even have any provisions left. The bread is finished from our vessels. We have nothing to present or to offer the man of God. What is with us? So Shaul basically says, we should go back. Father's going to be worrying about us. The servant boy says, well, we're very close to a place where there is a man of God. Why don't we inquire of him? And Shaul again responds with reluctance. Even if we were to make our way to the man of God, we have nothing to offer him in presentation for the information that he might offer us. Here it seems that Shaul is not aware of Shemuel's practice. He thinks that Shemuel will ask for money in order to reveal the whereabouts of the donkeys. Shaul, it seems, is not even familiar with Shemuel. It's the servant boy who alerts him to the fact that Shemuel's city is just around the corner. Remember, they have come to the land of Tzuf, and Shemuel comes from a place called Ramataim Tzofim in Mount Ephraim, as we found out in chapter 1. And Shaul apparently is unaware that this is, in fact, the hometown of Shemuel. Shaul is similarly unaware that Shemuel will not ask for any gift or any money for his services. In any case, the servant boy responds, I have a quarter shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God and he will tell us the way that we must go. And sure enough, Shaul now agrees. Verse number 10, Tov devaracha, your words are good, let us go. And they came to the city where the man of God, where Shemuel was located. So this is altogether curious. It's a lengthy conversation that unfolds between Shaul and his servant boy. What can be said about the conversation, and all conversations in Tanakh are very revealing about the character, the thinking of the people that are engaged in the conversation. Clearly, Shaul, as far as he's concerned, would prefer to return home. Father will be worried. We have nothing to offer the man of God anyways, so why would we go? It's the anonymous servant boy that actually leads the way and will guide Shaul to his destination. We might characterize this dialogue as Shaul's reluctance on the one hand, met by the servant's insistence on the other hand, and in the end, it is the words of the servant which will prevail, and they will go to meet Shemuel. Little does Shaul know that though he seems to be searching for donkeys, in fact, what he will find at the end of his journey is the monarchy, is the kingship, because he is the man that God has chosen. This is a classic dynamic in the Hebrew Bible. Circumstances present themselves 
Sometimes we are in a situation and we feel as if we are being guided, perhaps, to a fateful destination, although Shaul has no inkling what, in fact, awaits him when they get to Shemuel and they seek his guidance. But for our purposes to note, the anonymous servant boy is divine intervention in disguise. It is the servant boy that will insist and ultimately convince Shaul that they must go forward to seek the guidance of the man of God. And so they go. They were ascending the ascent of the city. And there were young maidens who had come out of the city to draw water in verse 11. And Shaul and the servant boy ask the maidens a simple question, Hayesh baze haroe, is the seer here? In English, it's four words or five. In Hebrew, it is three, Hayesh baze haroe, a simple question, is the man of God who can guide us and direct us here or is he not? It seems like a fairly straightforward question that really only requires a one-word answer. Either the answer is yes or the answer is no. But the maidens now respond, and I will read it in translation. In Hebrew, it's equally as interesting. Yes, they replied. He is up there ahead of you. Hurry, for he has just come to the town because the people have a sacrifice at the shrine today. As soon as you enter the town, you will find him. Before he goes up to the shrine to eat, the people will not eat until he comes, for he must first bless the sacrifice, and only then will the guests eat. Go up at once, for you will find him right away. A very, very lengthy answer. Instead of simply responding, Shemuel is here, they go on with a lengthy description Quickly go, ascend. Today is an assembly and a sacrifice at the high place. Find him before he goes up to the high place. The people will not eat from the sacrifice until he arrives because he will bless the sacrifice and only then will they eat. Go because you will find him there. So what's all of this length about? Rashi in the Midrash offers us a whimsical answer. The way Rashi puts it, the women were captivated by Shaul's appearance. And therefore they draw out their answer so that they might continue to engage Shaul and the servant boy in conversation and peer upon Shaul's handsomeness. The Radak Rabbi David Kimchi offers a different answer, which is more suited to the pshat, or the straightforward theme that the story seems to be indicating. As the Radak points out, the moment had not yet arrived for Shaul to become king. After all, the Radak implies, this is a story about divine guidance. This is a story about confluence, but it's not coincidental. As much as the servant boy will bring Shaul closer to Shemuel, the man of God, 
so too the maidens drawing water will now set up the dynamic which will lead to the fateful meeting. In both cases, whether it is Shaul's servant or the maidens, they have no awareness that in fact they are part of this divine unfolding of events, but in fact that is their role. God indicated to Shemuel that Shaul was about to arrive. As soon as Shemuel saw him in verse number 17, God responded, This is the man that I told you about. He will rule over my people. Shaul meets Shemuel in the midst of the gate in verse number 18, and he says to him, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? What a stunning moment. Shaul is literally looking Shemuel in the face and asking him, do you happen to know where the house of the seer is? Put differently, Shaul is blissfully unaware of anything which is unfolding all around him. He has no realization and remains clueless as to the true significance of the meeting that is about to unfold between him and Shemuel. Shemuel responds, I am the seer, Anochi Haro'eh. Ascend with me to the high place and eat with me on this day. I will send you on your way in the morning and everything that is in your heart, I will tell you. As for the donkeys, don't worry about them. They are already found three days ago. Ulami kol chemdat Yisrael, to whom belongs the glory, all the glory of Israel. Is it not yours and your father's house? And here, of course, Shemuel is alluding to the fact that Shaul is going to be king. Shaul's response betrays his complete lack of awareness. He said, but I'm a Benjaminite from the smallest of the tribes, and my family is the most insignificant of all the families in the tribe of Binyamin. Vilama dibarta elai kadavar hazeh. Why did you say that to me? And Shemuel does not respond. The question is left hanging. So the dynamic is as follows. Shaul is guided to the town of the Ro'eh, the seer. The maidens will now guide him and the servant boy to his fateful meeting with Shemuel. He will look Shemuel in the face and not know who he is, asking to see the seer. And Shemuel will indicate, that's me, and the glory belongs to you. But Shaul has no idea what Shemuel is referring to. And it gets more and more strange. Shemuel brings Shaul and the servant boy to the high place, to the chamber, and they are seated at the head of the assembly. It's almost as if 
there is a little greeting card that says, Shaul, sit here. We've reserved this place for you. Shaul is presented with a very costly and beautiful part of the sacrifice for him alone to consume. And Shemuel says to him, guess what? We put this aside for you because we knew that you would be arriving. So it becomes more and more strange. Shaul now finds himself in an assembly of the people. He's seated at the head of the table. He's offered a particularly honored portion. And Shemuel says, we've been waiting for you the whole time. But Shemuel will not free Shaul from the mystery. They came down from the high place and he spoke to Shaul on the roof in verse 25. The content of the conversation is not revealed. They woke up the next morning. At the dawn, Shemuel called Shaul out to the rooftop one more time. Arise and I will send you on your way. Shaul arose and he and his servant went with Shemuel. They were descending on the edge of the town and Shemuel said to Shaul, tell the servant boy to pass before us and he did. This is the moment of divergence. Shaul and the servant boy must go their separate ways because destiny has a special role for Shaul to play. As for you, says Shemuel, stand this day and I will reveal to you, I will speak to you the word of God. So this is the moment when Shaul will finally find out the meaning of all of these strange occurrences where the sum total of the occurrences is to create the distinct impression in Shaul's mind that he has been designated for something important, something significant, but he has no idea what it is, even as Shemuel stares him in the face. So I'd like to explore this dynamic as part of our larger treatment of the issue of kingship. Remember, we spoke about the fact that Shemuel's greatest fear is that a king will amass absolute power and will corrupt that power. That's Shemuel's greatest fear. So a king who is a judge and a king who is a warrior and a king who is a government all of that concentration of power will lead to a destructive place. Effectively, what this chapter reinforces is that even as Shaul is designated as the first king of Israel, a fundamental lesson is born home. That is, his success as king will depend upon Shemuel, where Shemuel, as the prophet, the seer, represents the word of God. It's almost as if Shaul is clueless unless Shemuel reveals the real story. So Shaul wants to go home. 
his servant boy will bring him to Shemuel. Shaul asks innocently, do you know where the seer is? And the maidens will guide him unwittingly to literally bump into Shemuel in the gate. The fact that they draw out their conversation effectively generates a confluence such that perfectly timed Shemuel will be leaving the gate heading up to the high place and Shaul will be coming in and they will collide and Shaul will look Shemuel in the face and not know who he is. Do you know where the Ro'eh, where the seer lives? And Shaul will be guided by Shemuel and will be led and will be brought to the high place and will be offered honor and glory with all of the implications of a future leadership role, but he'll understand none of it until it is revealed by the prophet of God. All of this will have the effect of driving home the lesson that as king of Israel, he will not be successful if he acts alone, amassing all of the power to himself, only by depending upon the instruction, the guidance, and the inspiration of Shemuel, the prophet of God, can the king of Israel possibly be successful. And that's the meaning of the very strange and mysterious dynamic that our chapter sets up even as Shaul is selected by God for the greatness that will be his. The lesson for the future king of Israel and for us is clear. Sometimes in life, we might imagine that we can go it alone. Sometimes in life, we might be convinced that we know exactly where we are headed. But Shemuel now indicates that guidance and instruction as an incredibly important part of the story, such that we get to our destination safely, such that we are able to accomplish our mission successfully. Next time we will find out what Shaul's appointment looks like as he officially becomes the king, the first king of the people of Israel. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Parties North America in partnership with the Koran Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.